If you have a Bible, I want you to open to the Gospel of Luke in the first chapter, Luke chapter 1. Luke's giving us an orderly account of the things that went on in the life and ministry of Jesus so that we may have certainty about the things that we have been taught. So Luke chapter 1 is where we will pick up, and specifically we'll pick up in Luke chapter 1 and verse number uh, 57. Julie and I thought we had all this whole life thing figured out, and then we had Priscilla, and everything's changed on us. Had this nice little orderly home. Mary Clara has Julie's disposition and personality, and Abel has mine, and then came Priscilla, and we just have no idea where her personality, where her disposition has come from. She's opinionated, she's moody, and she's sassy. And she has a very hard time when she does not get her way. Now, anyone who says that a two-year-old shouldn't be the boss of a home has never had a two-year-old. And uh, at our house, uh, she likes this video, and the videos are of these Bible songs. And they've got songs on them like, um, um, Be Careful Little Eyes What You See, and, and uh, um, well, that's the only one I can think of at the, time, at the, at the moment. Um, but, the, but, well, actually, her favorite one is um, I'm in right, out right, up right, down right, happy all the time. She, she, in fact, that's what she calls the, the video. She says when she wants to see the video, she wants to watch happy all the time. But it's interesting in our house when um, we try to be careful about how much TV and whatnot the children watch when we say no. She gets really angry, and she will stalk me around the house and yell at me. And here's what she says. I want to watch happy all the time. <laughs> and uh, it's interesting to watch her do that because the words of the song and the attitude of her heart could not be any more different. She's all red-faced, screaming about happy all the time. Well, in the Gospel of Luke, in his orderly account, when God, by the Holy Spirit, begins to reveal what's going to happen... Many people respond in singing, in adoration and praise. And the blessing is that the condition of their hearts do match what they're singing and what they're saying. When we get to verse 57, if you'll recall, we're going to go back to John, excuse me, Zechariah and Elizabeth's house. Read with me in verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. So, uh, you remember the story. Zechariah is a priest, and Elizabeth is, is an older lady. She's been barren. In fact, the Bible reveals that's sort of been the, 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 the banner over her life. That's Elizabeth. She's advanced in years, and she's, she's barren. She's never been able to have, have her children. And uh, we get a little bit of a picture about Zechariah and Elizabeth and the kind of people they were, is when they receive good news, everybody around them rejoices. That tells us that they were well-liked, they were well-loved, and that probably is a result of them having ministered and served and been faithful to the people around them. Now, the Bible says that as followers of Jesus, we ought to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. When other people get good news, we ought to be the kind of people that are happy for them. Some people, when other people have good news, they get mad about it, that they didn't have the same good news, so to speak. 
So, so for example, this week of Thanksgiving, we ought to be a people who can see the blessings of God in other people and, and are able to rejoice in how God has blessed them. And word, no doubt, has gotten around. Remember, they live in a small, isolated community where everybody knows everybody. So can you imagine, they didn't have grocery stores back then, but at the grocery store, people bumping into each other and, hey, have you heard about Zachariah and Elizabeth? It's the craziest story. Yeah, I heard Zachariah was so shocked by the news, he's not said a word since. Well, yeah, that's true, but I think, wasn't that something about an angel and they showed up and then just a word gets all over town. And then we get that phrase that's full of meaning, that time came for Elizabeth to have a child. And there's no news that spreads as quickly as that sort of news, right? I mean, there's, no, there's, there's nothing quite like the birth of a baby. It can be a community event. Relatives come out of town to visit and to share all of their advice and wisdom about how they raised the children and so on. And, so. and sometimes they've also come sometimes to help, right? I remember when Julie and I were expecting Priscilla, we had a boy and a girl and had decided not to find out what the gender of the third child was going to be. And we had this notion in our mind that we we're going to be able to share the news with everybody. We got to tell one person because of Facebook and cell phones and text messages and, and so on and, and, and so forth. Well, uh, excuse me, Zachariah and Elizabeth already knew that they were going to have a boy. The angel had told them as much. But then the, the interesting thing is there begins to be sort of a discussion about what they're going to name the child. And have you ever been in a situation with relatives or neighbors where you've decided to do something and they don't think that it's what you should do? And you have one of those what I call nice fights where everybody's being really, really nice, but they're fighting at the same time. And it usually comes across with, with questions. Are you sure that's what you want to do? And, and particularly, it's going to be the case when it comes to naming a child. And that's why I know some people, when, they've, when they're expecting, they won't even tell you what the name is because they don't want to have these sorts of discussions. They say, well, you'll just find out when it's on the birth certificate. In fact, we'll just hand you the birth certificate, and then you'll be able to read what the name is. Because in these days, the, particularly the firstborn son was always named after his dad. But, but they decide to name the child something different, and you'll just see when that happens, well, people get a little worked up about it. So those of you who like outlines, here's the outline. There's going to be a discussion, and then there's going to be a decision, and then there's going to be a question. And that's what we'll see right here. So let's read it together. It says, On the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote his name as John. And all wondered. And all of them wondered. First of all, there's a discussion. They come to bring the child on the eighth day to be circumcised. They're Jewish. That's the custom. That's the, that's the uh, sequence of events. And so for the first week of a child's life, you know, he doesn't have, officially have his name. It's when the child's circumcised, when he's marked. He's of, he's of our faith and so on and so forth. They, they give him the name. And so everybody gathers together, and there's just a, a wide-based assumption that his name's going to be Zechariah. And notice what it says here. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And then it uses this pronoun, and they would have called him Zechariah. Now, here's the question. Who's the they? The they's not Zechariah, and the they's not Elizabeth. The they's who? Everybody else. The they goes back to, uh, to, to verse 58. Here's the phrase, her neighbors and relatives. So they come, and they say the child's going to be uh, Zachariah, after his father. Why? Well, that's just the way we do it. 
That's just how things are done. That's the way we've always done it. And, and they're a little taken aback when, here, here's, the, here's the word, look at the word that Elizabeth use, uses. But his mother answered, what'd she say? No. <laughs> she says no. Now here's my opinion. If a woman goes through the process of birthing a child, she ought to be able to name the child. Right? That should just be her prerogative. Whatever she says, after she goes through that, she names the child. But that's not what happens here. They hear her say, no, his name's going to be John. And you can almost see the look on their face, can't you? That look. And here's their statement. None of your relatives is called by that name. They kind of get that look, you know, that twisted look. Tilt the head. None of your children is called by that. And then they have a strategy. Let's go talk to Zechariah about this. Now, here's what you'll find in life. You can live your whole life making decisions on the basis over and over and over again about what they say. And they is this sort of nameless, faceless conglomeration of people, but it actually has a great influence in our lives over our decisions, the things we do, the, things we, the places we go. For example, here's how they dictate life. You're a high school junior, and they come along, and here's what they ask. What are you going to do when you graduate? And you're standing there saying, well, I mean, I'm a high school junior. I don't, I don't really know. And he said, well, they come and ask, where are you going to go to college? And he said, I, don't, I mean, I'm just a high school junior. I just got my license. I, mean, I, just, I don't really know. Well, what, what are you going to do with your life? I, I, don't, I don't know. And so you feel all this pressure. You say, I've got to figure this out. And then by the end of your junior year, maybe the beginning of your senior year, you've decided to go to college, and that's what you're going to do. And so they come along. They come back, and you've started college. And you're like, oh man, I'm so thankful. Now, now I've got an answer to the question. They're all going to come and ask me, where are you going to go? And I'm going to be able to look at them and say, here's what I'm going to do, and here's where I'm going to go. And they come back and they say, oh, you made a What are you going to major in? Wait a minute. I thought they'd be excited that I decided where I was going to go. And now I've got to get there and I've got to decide what I'm going to do, what I'm going to major in. So you get there and you get through the freshman year. You, you know, your freshman year, you're going to take the same classes anyway. So you just buy yourself a little time. Well, every freshman, they'd kind of say the same deal. Okay, okay. But you come home for your Christmas break, your freshman year, they're back. Now, you're halfway through. What are you going to major in? I don't know. Okay, I've decided what I'm going to major in. You get to your last couple of years of college. You got a job lined up? I just figured out what I'm going to major in. I've got to find a job now. Okay, so, so you go through that, and you, and you find a job. And they come back. Well, when are you going to get married? Get married? What do you mean we get married? I just finished college. Just get, just get on my own. And then you, you keep feeling the pressure. Are you, are you married? Have you seen anybody? Is, is, is she interesting? Does your parent, do your parent like her? What, what do they call her? What are, what's, are any of her relatives named by the name? Just go on and on and on. Finally meet somebody, and you get married. It's a glorious occasion. All, they're all there, by the way. They all come. <laughs> and, and if one of them you know, thought they... Anyway, uh, they, they, let's just move on. They, uh, I'm, I'm starting to get them mad at me. So they, 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 they're there. And usually it won't be at the reception. They'll wait a few weeks, a few days, and then come back. Well, when, are you have, when are you planning to have children? Planning to have children? We just got, what, what, what do you mean we're just planning to have children? And then, and then you'll have the children, and, and you know full circle, things come full circle, and they ask, well, where are your children going to go to college? Where are they? Where are they? Well, wow, I thought I was, just, I, was just, I was just there, and then the life comes, and then a little bit more, and then they come back, and here's what they're going to ask. Oh, you're thinking about retiring? What are you going to do when you retire? And then, and then the, 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 the bad news is when they stop asking questions, and then, then you, know, you know, we're really, uh, uh, anyway, um, here's the point. 
They can dictate your whole life. Everything you do. And your whole life can become this endless quest to answer all the questions. So, here's here's how it goes. Either you'll spend life answering all those questions, or you'll say, I don't know all the answers to those questions. Here's a better question. Jesus looked at his disciples and said, Who do you say that I am? And I'll tell you this, if you can answer that question, all those other questions you can put to the side, and you say, I haven't figured that out yet. I don't know where I'm going to go to school. I don't know when I'm going to get married. I don't know when we're having children. I don't know when I'm going to retire. All I know is this, Jesus Christ is Lord. And instead of all these hypotheticals and maybes and ifs and so on and so forth, instead of worrying about all that, I'll worry about this, that the gospel is the truth. And I'm going to live today. This is why the Bible talks over and over this. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. Don't worry about tomorrow. It has enough trouble of its own. You worry about today. And that's so refreshing. When you see, for example, Chad and Joy come up and stand here today and they say, you know what, we're we're not going to worry about all these questions. We're going to go to the nations. So here's the discussion. And don't you love, they start to actually kind of, their, their plan is to pit Zechariah against Elizabeth. They don't, she doesn't give them the right answer. So they go, uh, verse 62, they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted to be called. And he can't speak. So uh, you remember he, he's mute after his act of unbelief. He, he didn't think all these things might actually happen. And so he was struck mute. Now we also learn he's apparently either also deaf or he's so advanced in years that he can't hear very well because they start to make signs to him. What do you want the child to be called? And he can you imagine him standing there? It's a game of charades. Except one group's really angry, and they're playing angry charades. Can you believe she's going to call? She's going to call him John. None of your relatives. They get out the family pictures. None of these people. He's not John. He's not John. He's not John. They assume that Elizabeth is sort of having this moment of rebellion where she's going to do something that Zechariah doesn't. And look what Zechariah does. He asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. It's a wonderful thing when a husband and a wife stand together on spiritual things. Every parent knows this. Children will play divide and conquer, right? They go ask mom. Mom, can I have this piece of candy? No, you may not. And they leave from there. And I hear the little feet. feet. Dad, can we have this piece of candy? Now, you, you have to present a united front. And you have to present a united front about spiritual things. Now, Zechariah and Elizabeth find themselves up against one of the strongest enemies you can be up against. And that's religious tradition. And that is a mighty foe. For years and years and years and years and years and years, we've done it this way. And now you're going to stand here and say, his name's John? Now why is his name John? Are they just trying to be different just for the sake of being different? Are they just trying to buck the trend and throw off tradition and and we're just not going to do it that way anymore? No. You remember Zechariah? Right before he lost his ability to speak, the angel said, you shall call him John. So in other words, it's an act of obedience. And I'll tell you this, you'll find this in life if you're going to be faithful to the Lord. As you seek to be obedient to God, one of the things you'll most strongly come up against is religious 
tradition. He just kind of gets set there, and he tried to go around or so on and so forth. He, they're, they're trying to be obedient to the word. He said his name is John. Why is his name going to be John? Here's what John's name means. The Lord is gracious. That's what John's name means. That's what John's name means. The Lord is gracious. So, so what you see here is there's a discussion that leads to a decision. And can I tell you, when it comes to some spiritual things in life, there needs to come a time when the discussion is over and the decision is, is made. Here, I love what Paul says, because here's what it is. It's the, it's the issue of, am I going to be a man pleaser or am I going to be one who pleases God? That's what's at stake here. They're just going to do what everybody says that they should do, or are they going to be obedient to God? Paul says in Galatians 1.10, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Did you hear what Paul says? He says, you can, actually, you can't have it both ways. You can't try to please everybody and try to please God at the same time. There's nothing more dangerous at times to our souls than reasonable assumptions. And that's what they had. That's what this whole group of people, we just have a reasonable assumption. He's going to be Zachariah. His dad's Zachariah. His dad's dad's Zachariah and Elizabeth. And then here is the word you use for reasonable assumptions that actually go against the word of God. Is the word Elizabeth used. No. No, we're not going to continue to do that. No. And so there's a discussion that leads to a decision. You'll see here that, that, that uh, the discussions carried on by them, the decisions actually made by Elizabeth and John. They're, in fact, the statements that they give in this text are decisive statements. No, his name shall be called John. Verse, uh, that's Elizabeth's statement. And then uh, verse 63, John, uh, excuse me, Zechariah had to write it down. His name is John. So you got it verbally and written down. That's our, that's our decision. I don't know about um, how it works at your marriage, but in my marriage, um, one of us is really strong at discussing, and it needs to be discussed. Julie is so wise, so patient, so kind. I, I'm kind of a jump-the-gun kind of guy at times. So how, how it would work, and I think this is the way the Lord's blessed our marriage in a way, is uh, uh, I need her discussion and then prayerfully, I compliment, and at, this is really all I can bring to the table. Um, and then there does come a time where the discussion has to be concluded with a decision. Does that make sense? It's, it's, it's uh, dangerous if you do one without the other. It's dangerous if you try to make a spiritual decision without taking time for spiritual discussion, for prayer, for listening. Now, Zechariah has the great benefit of having nothing to do but listen. He can't speak. He's there for nine months. And people come by and visit, but then after a little while, they, they run out of things to say, and so they kind of go, and he just gets to sit there. And the only thing he's left to think about is what happened most recently, that encounter with the angel and all the things the angel said. So can I give you an encouragement? Before you make decisions, you have to set aside time to really listen to what God says in his word. You have to take time. Now, Let's get the balance, though. Once God says clearly in His Word, here is what you should do, the flip side is, if you continue to try to discuss it when He's already revealed what it is you should do. Give you an example. Eve in the garden with the enemy. 
Temptation begins to come, and Eve carries on a discussion. The best thing to have done is what Jesus does when he's tempted in the wilderness. Do you see that? He, he doesn't have long discussions with the enemy. He has decisive statements. It says this, it is written. So here's an encouragement to your soul. If it's written in the word, you don't have to discuss it. It's decided. So the best thing to do is to model or follow the pattern of Elizabeth. When, when she's confronted with decisions, here's her answer. When, when she knows it's not what she should do, here's her answer. No. Because here's how they works as well. Okay, I know this is what the Bible says, but they don't do this. Most of the people I know, and can I just, most of the people I know, they don't, uh, here's a few statements about the them as well that Jesus makes. Wide is the door and wide is the way that leads to destruction and many are they who find it. Narrows the door. Narrow is, is, is the way that leads to life and few are they who find it. So anytime you're trying to make a decision and one of the factors is, well, what do most people do? You're already setting yourself up for, let me use Jesus' word, for destruction. So um, it's helpful to have discussions, but it's also helpful to understand we've discussed it enough. Here's what we have decided. And that goes for parenting. That goes for marriages. That goes for obedience to Christ. Uh, uh, Decide and stand on the rock that is the Lord Jesus. Well, uh, let's see this. As soon as he uh, says his name is John, the Bible says, "They, they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was open and his tongue was loosed and he spoke blessing to God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, What then will this child be for the hand of the Lord is with him? I call your attention in verse uh, 64 to that verb immediately. Uh, uh, Zechariah's disobedience had immediate consequences. Zechariah's obedience had immediate blessings. And and, uh, this word, one of my favorite places that it's used is in Luke chapter 15 in the parable of the prodigal son. Won't go into all the details of that story, but just remember uh, the son had squandered his, uh, his father's inheritance with uh, prodigal living, with riotous living, and then he goes in, there's a famine, and he's in the pig pen, and, and uh, he's at the bottom of the barrel, end of his rope. And he says, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough, and here I starve? So he made a plan. I will go to my father, and I will say to him, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So the Bible says he arose and went. What does that mean? He discussed it. Then he decided. So he's on his way home. And here's the glorious thing. When it comes to sincere, authentic repentance, Almighty God doesn't discuss whether or not he'll forgive. He immediately decides, I will forgive. And here's what the Bible says. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and ran to him and embraced him and kissed him. And here's here's back to Luke 1. Here's what the verb he used. He said, immediately go get the robe and put on the boy. Do you, you see this? When, when people respond in faith, God immediately responds in blessing. So, 
application for that is this. Some people perhaps in the room think, man, the stuff I've done, (laughs) I don't even know what God would say. Here's what God would say. If you truly repent, immediately, go get the robe, go get the ring. Immediately, the Bible says, his tongue's loosed. Now, We'll wrap up for today, to, but set up next week. You, you remember when he had gone in and made an uh, offering? We talked about this when Zechariah was the priest, and he was in Jerusalem, and he goes into the holy place, and he, and he burns the incense, and that was the pinnacle of his professional life as a priest. Not professional, but you, his working life as a priest to have the one opportunity. I mean, you only get this at one time. And the custom was, after the priest went in, all the people would be gathered, and the priest would come out, and he'd give sort of a blessing, and he'd give a sort of a sermon, if you will. And it would be the hallmark of his life. But when Zechariah came out of that holy place, he couldn't speak. And so everybody just stands there. Can you imagine if I was standing here right now and all of a sudden lost the ability to speak? It would be quiet and then it would get a little awkward. And then finally somebody would kind of lead the charge and someone would get up and just kind of leave maybe. And, then it, and that moment comes for Zechariah. And he doesn't have opportunity to share it. Here's the good news. God gives him a second chance. After his tongue's loosed, here's what he says. Blessed be the God of Israel. For he has visited and redeemed his people. It's the very first statement out of his, very first words out of his mouth. He has visited and redeemed his people. We'll go into all that he says next next week. But if I could summarize what Zechariah says, we'll do it this way. Here's what he says. The Lord is gracious. And then he goes up, having said this sermon, this baby boy he never thought he'd have. And after proclaiming the message, guess what he's holding in his hands? John, whose name literally, of course, means And the Bible says that word went out everywhere. Through all those neighbors who had those questions, they actually, they turned from questioners to witnesses. And God loves to do that. Take the skeptic and make him a convert. That's the Apostle Paul, isn't it? Um, So let me give you a few applications and then we'll close for today. Three quick things I jotted down as I thought over this. Listen to the voice of God and not to the voice of the majority. In order to listen to the voice of the majority, you just kind of have to exist. In order to listen to the voice of God, you have to be specific. You have to set aside time. You have to be in His Word and think on His Word and meditate on His Word. The majority of people wanted to go back to Egypt after God had delivered them. The majority of people wanted a king in Israel. The majority of people turned to idolatry. The majority of people, Jesus says, are on their way to destruction. So listen to the voice of God, not to the voice of the majority. Don't spend your whole life answering their questions. Invest, rather, your whole life being submissive to His will. Secondly, those who spend the most time listening to God are those that can be trusted to speak for God. In fact, you would do well in your life to, uh, to take the advice primarily of those who listen to God. So first, listen to the voice of God, not the majority. Second, those who spend the most time listening to God can be trusted to speak for God. And then number three, the words we speak reveal our faith. Zacharias had all this time. 
Oh, it's so beautiful. We'll stop for this morning. But blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he's visited and redeemed his people. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. As he spoke through the mouth of the holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from all our enemies and delivered out of the hand of all who hate us. Let's stand together. And we'll pray together. We just got a little scene, kind of a snippet of everyday life. But do you see how God's at work in the matters of everyday life? This little child that's born and all the people come together. And God's right at work right there. I want you to bow your heads with me and we'll pray together. And time of invitation is, is a time of inventory. It's a time to respond. So, so you would just respond perhaps in this way. Praying, Father, do I listen more to you or to the voice of, of them? Am I more concerned in my life about pleasing you or pleasing this nameless, faceless majority? What do my words reveal about my faith? Do I take time in my life to really listen to you? Father, would you use this time for our good? We thank you that there was a uh, baby boy born to prepare the way of the Lord. And of all things for him to be called, he was called the Lord is gracious. Here we are studying in these early chapters of the Gospel of Luke, Father, and we see one child who prepares the way of the Lord. He's called the Lord is gracious. And then another child is going to be born to the Virgin Mary. And the angel said, you will call his name Jesus. The Lord saves. The Lord is gracious. The Lord saves. An orderly account so we may have certainty of the things we've been taught. And what we're taught is you are gracious and you save. Thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.